This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by the Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to thebeanbastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to the Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am John, and this episode's guest is Brian Vander Ark of The Verb Pipe. You can maybe hear it a little bit in my voice. Hey, I'm sick. Uh, I've been fighting a, a flu or something the last couple of days. It's uh, affected my voice, which as a person who does a podcast is uh, not the greatest thing to happen to you. But uh, I'm also very excited. As of when I'm recording this, the Braves just won the World Series. Their first since 1995, 26 years ago. And the reason why I'm bringing that up and why it has any significance to this episode's guest is because 25 years ago, <laughs> the Verpipe put out their landmark record, Villains. It is where everyone became aware of who the band was on a big national scale, you know, between Photograph, uh, between the freshmen, obviously. So interestingly, when I kind of realized I was putting out this episode and that there was potential for the Braves win uh, to win the World Series, knowing that the 95-96 school year is when I moved here, it just felt like all the stars were kind of aligning in a weird way for the podcast to kind of to kind of really look back and just kind of think about where, you know, the beginning of my fandom for the Braves, you know, being a Deion Sanders fan and then moving out here to Michigan and, you know, back when I had my Walkman, my Sony Walkman, and I would listen to the radio and this band, The Verb Pipe, were getting really big and, and learning about uh, bands kind of being on a local level. Like, you know, I remember my aunt uh, at the time who was in college uh, saying that she had gone and seen The Verb Pipe when they played Club Soda in Kalamazoo. And just kind of learning that bands that you hear on the radio can come from your your small towns and and your home states and that they used to be a local band and all this kind of stuff and starting the fascination with 
getting into music and, and getting into bands from a from a regional aspect, uh, you know, you kind of got to remember this is when I'm like 10, 11, and I'm kind of just really getting into music on my own and kind of finding different things and sort of the culture shock of moving from the East Coast to out here in the in the Midwest. And, and you're not really aware of it until you kind of step back for a minute and just kind of think about where you were when the last time something happened. And, it, and it's a little bit easier when you have certain milestones, like, you know, if you have your favorite team and they haven't won a title since, you know, 26 years ago or things like that, that you kind of can look back. And, you know, the thing that's interesting, <laughs> uh, another parallel, you know, kind of in thinking about this and, and prepping for this episode is just really, you know, thinking about how far the Verb Pipes career has come to some the band maybe kind of is a one-hit wonder. The freshman is the one hit they know. But here locally, it's been really interesting to see what Brian and the rest of the band have done to sustain a career. You know, writing a children's record and seeing them have massive success with that. Seeing them play local shows here and th that tons of people still come out. You know, one of our bigger uh, venues here in town, 20 Monroe, the band does like an annual Christmas show uh, every year, and it it always does well. The band always does well when they tour, and it's one of those where it's like, just because maybe you don't see them, you know, making headlines or see them on these big festivals and so forth, doesn't mean that they went away, that they're not still able to make a living out of making music. And to me, that's just something that I find so admirable, where a lot of people would probably be like, well, my time's done, and... Uh, just it, it's not for me anymore and and you know all these these excuses i guess um that the verb pipe and brian have just been able to carve out a career um <clears throat> pardon me also i want to shout out this uh this tea that is saving my voice right now uh as of yesterday i had like no voice you can kind of hear it going a little bit right now uh, i am drinking a trader joe's watermelon mint tea it is a loose leaf tea and this is actually really refreshing. I think it's it's really good as a warm tea. It's kind of helping me have a voice to do this so I can put out an episode this week. Uh, but more importantly, I think this would be really good as a uh, like an iced tea, uh, which is probably something I will do later uh, when I can enjoy something like that instead of needing it to, uh, to just get through this intro and outro. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Brian Vander Ark, and I'll talk to you all on the other side of it. This is. All right, Brian Vanderick, how's it going? Good. I'm actually enjoying the uh, <laughs> nice fall day we have here in Grand Rapids versus what it was earlier. <laughs> 100% with you on that one. Were you one of those people that was like, hey, you can't wait for the seasons to change and get out of this uh, this hot weather and then just weren't expecting the, uh, the nice 40-degree day we had like two days ago? No. You know, you're from here. You know, you can't expect anything. <laughs> expect the unexpected i'm honestly surprised you it know? hasn't snowed uh, already to be honest after that one day yeah crazy <laughs> well thanks for doing this no thank you actually we i've been trying to get you on for many years uh have a lot of mutual friends and contacts like joel uh ferguson and you know saying sober at local spins and so forth and norcus and just it never lines up so thank you for uh having some availability um uh, typically i just kind of do a chat 
Um, kind of see where it goes. I do have some questions, obviously, for you, but uh, I know we got about okay. 20 minutes, so just going to kind of go into that. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess right away, something that's always kind of uh, really endeared me about you personally as an artist, but, you know, even what you've done within the verb pipe is just, you know, how expansive uh, you've grown the band to be, uh, you know, between doing you know, with the verb pipe, like the children's uh, EP or family albums or however you actually wanted to call those, uh, putting an emphasis on still putting out live albums, which I think is really interesting since a lot of people seem to have forgotten about that. And just, it's a really interesting sonic journey you've kind of taken a lot of fans on over the, the oh my God, almost 30 years at this point. Uh, how has it been for you kind of to just keep growing and traversing? I mean, it, it keeps it interesting. I mean, this is a life in music. So, you know, the fact that I still have things to say uh, lyrically, which was a little more, uh, it was a bit of a stretch on this album, which is why I think Channing uh, was very helpful in the writing this time out. But, you know, talking about the different kinds of uh, albums that we do, the kids' albums and the rock albums and the acoustic albums and that kind of thing, that really has to do with the songs. I mean, you know, when we when we're writing something and I go, oh, this this would be an interesting kid song, maybe, you know, because I want to put an oboe solo on it, you know, <laughs> and you don't put an oboe solo on a heavy rock record. So then you go, well, if it's a kid song and then I get this other one, it could be a kid song. Well, then if I just write eight more, then I've got a kid's album. <laughs> and that's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's pretty much how that works, you know. Um, you know, Shannon and I started writing for this new album and we had the song found and it was like, it's, it's a Simon and Garfunkel song. It sounds like it's like, okay, well let's, let's consider doing a side project and doing like a Simon and Garfunkel-esque type of album. And we started to do that. And it was like, well, wait a minute, we've got these other songs that are more verb pipe and more rock. So let's, you know, try to make it all work. And we ended up writing, you know, a dozen songs that sounded verve pipe, but were uh, uh, just, you know, would push the boundaries a little bit on that. And it's like, why not? You know, we're at that time in our career. We can pretty much do what we like to do at this point, as long as we play the freshman live. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, what's interesting to me even about that, as you're kind of saying, like, you know, when the children's albums kind of became a thing because you didn't feel like this felt like a, a verb pipe song or whatever, I, I think it's kind of interesting because a lot of musicians, I feel like, you know, having just talked to, you know, someone yesterday where I was like, you know, well, we see a solo record from you and they're like, well, I mean, I've been working on a bunch of stuff and it's not the band that I'm in but it's not really necessarily cohesive to where I think maybe it'd be like a me solo record either and I go but isn't that like what could make your solo record interesting is here's a small pocket of these songs and you could put out EPs that create a vibe or whatever and maybe your solo thing isn't necessarily genre defined but it's almost the absence of a genre or a definition that makes it what is you because it is you so I always think it's interesting when musicians kind of either have this weird inner struggle of like well this is definitively what this is and nothing else can kind of come in or change and like like I said I, I think you're very interesting in that fact that you seem to be aware of it but also it becomes a strength for you versus necessarily i would say a, a weakness well first of all did that artist that you were talking to hire you as their manager because they should have immediately no but i also stole sort of the idea because uh, i saw halsey tweeted out the other day that what she wants to do is put out all of her music reimagined as a collection of ep so like 
doesn't matter what album it came out on, but like these five or six songs become this new thing. And then the next EP is this idea or this sound. And and I thought that was a really interesting idea. And I am kind of surprised more artists maybe haven't thought to do that, especially in this kind of playlist world or where everything old is new again, kind of a thing. Do that and, and never, never, I mean, it might happen, but you know, uh, I, it, there, there's always something as a when you're a creator that you want to create something new. Uh, a lot of times when you do something like that, I mean, if I were to do, you know, reimagine some of these songs, it would be because I wanted to do just strings or something like way out there. Mm. Uh, or it might be because I didn't like the original recording or didn't like the producer that we worked with. You know, we had a song called 1229 Sheffield that I wrote and it was on a solo record. And then the verb pipe, uh, our first verb pipe recorded it um for the movie called clay pigeons back Mm -hmm. in 98 or something and then i said i didn't like that recording i didn't like what the producer did and and it it just didn't fit with what i wanted to do with it and so i reimagined that one and put that on my first solo record and it's much better you know so like i said never say never but i think most artists want once the once the song is out there when you're writing a song it's your song. Right. When you put, when anybody else hears that song, it, it's no longer yours. It becomes their song. There's nothing you can do. They hear it the way they want to hear it. You know, they'll either love it or not. But whatever it is, as soon as somebody else hears your song, it's no longer yours. It's theirs. And so once I give these songs, when I get them out there and give them away to people, I don't want to go back to it. You know, that's, and I think there's probably a lot of artists that feel the same way. I always find it interesting sometimes, too, especially with someone, you know, of your tenure in the music industry. You know, like I had, you know, I just talked to Eric uh, Martin. That's actually the episode I'm working on to put out this week for Mr. Big, you know, and I had Dennis DeYoung on, you know, uh, a couple months ago. And it's interesting to kind of hear some of like the differences in, in generations of musicians. Like, you know, Dennis seems to be, you know, he put out his last recorded works, so he says, and it was one of those things like, you know, he was very much kind of like, a, oh, it's you damn young kids who don't buy music and don't care about artists anymore and supporting them. And it's all about playlists and singles and so forth. And I kind of was like, taken aback by it a little bit. And I was like, well, actually, it's your generation that started that in the music industry because you yeah. guys are the ones that started with Seven Inches and B-Sides and basically letting an artist tour on two to three songs with a 15 band <laughs> package tour. And just doing that ad nauseum. So, like, if anything, it's going back to what it was when, you know, music was a commodity when you were a child. And he kind of was like, yeah, but... And then I was like... So it's interesting sometimes in talking to different artists who have been around for different lengths of time that it seems that some blame for not adapting and evolving and just kind of taking, I guess, ownership of their, their career... Whereas, you know, someone, I see someone like you and you're like, it seems like it doesn't matter like where you play, you know, whatever, you just love creating music. You love playing live for people. And that's all that matters to you. And you can really tell. And I feel like that's the only reason I do it. I I, I, I only, I only perform live because I, I feel like I have these songs and I want to get them out there to as many people as possible. And we, we're, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, there's no MTV and there's no VH1 anymore. There's, you know, we don't have a record label anymore. We do everything on our own. Best way to, for me to promote these songs that I'm um, that I have is to play live. Now, that's a solo artist. As a musician in the band, I just love being with the band. I mean, my favorite people in the world. 
this is my family. And, and, you know, we literally like there are, there's no group of people that I have more fun with that had the same sense of humor that I have, that have the same ambitions I have as musicians, um, to, to be better. Uh, so what, what better delivery service for the music is there than a live band that thoroughly enjoys playing with each other? And now that Brad, my brother's back in the band, there's a reason, and there's even more reason to go out and explore what he's doing because he's such a different kind of bass player than Joel was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's exciting as well. But as far as, you know, as far as Dennis DeYoung and that, first of all, I was a huge Sticks fan growing up. Grand Illusion, like, I just talked about this an hour ago, the other view, and I brought that up. Actually, she interviewed Dennis DeYoung, too, so he's on some kind of tour right now. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, so his name has come up twice today. Um, there's, you can always put blame on whatever. You know, there was a time when ultimately... And what excites you? There was a time when, you know, iTunes killed the album. Okay. Now, you know, people weren't buying albums anymore. They were buying singles. Well, I, I always put the blame and I got a lot of pushback from it, but I put the blame on these bands that put out albums that had one or two good songs on them and the rest was filler bullshit. Yeah. And that is the reason why people got, would get ripped off. They'd be $15 for an album and they'd be too good songs on it and nothing else and you go well look that's that's on them if they wrote better songs then that would not have happened now whether that would have happened or not you know apple had this whole master plan <laughs> but you had a better chance of people buying your entire album if every song was a gem or almost every song was a gem and i think that that's the bar that we've that I've tried to raise over the years, and we've tried to maintain that bar over the years. We we don't put we don't put crappy songs on records. I mean, I did once, and I regret it to this day. I put a crappy song on a record. I still <laughs> kick myself for that. So you know, you can put the blame. Why waste any energy putting the blame on anyone? The world is evolving. <laughs> you know, our entire universe evolves. Like. Go with it. Enjoy yourself. Be true to yourself. That's the most important thing. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting, you know, and, you know, I think to kind of full circle, like my last part of the comment, you know, bringing Eric Martin up into it, like, you know, he was just like, look, like I have had ups and downs and that's, that's the the life of a musician. And and as long as you're able to, like my worst day, I still get to say I, I perform music for a living. My best day, I get to say I perform music for a living. So like, it's not bad. Like, (laughs) <laughs> so it was but just... also think of the ups and downs as a songwriter the ups and downs are what we live for you know if i'm always up and i'm writing writing nothing but sunny bullshit all the time who's <laughs> gonna listen to that you know what i mean yeah. i mean life is a fucking roller coaster and i'm you know i'm writing what i'm feeling at the moment and that's authentic and anything else is not you know, I mean, I can't you can't force somebody to write a happy song that's not that that is not happy. There are songwriters that do that because they can sit in a, you know, in an office space in a cubicle with another writer in Nashville and write three songs a day. But are they really artists? Right. No, no, they're 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 writing a song for somebody else. They have a list of how it should go. It's all very processed. This and this leads to the chorus, and this and this. 
And that whole thing, and you go, well, if it can fit into any kind of algorithm, if you could put a song in a computer and it can tell you, no, this song has, well, this song has a 60% chance of being a hit, or this song has a 90% chance of being a hit, and they want to be hit songwriters, they're going to go for the 90% every time, you know? Well, I mean, I'm but what fun is that? <laughs> I mean, it's not. I, I mean, speaking back to Joel for a minute, like he, one day when hanging out at uh, RIT here locally, like with uh, my friend Phil, you know, he was telling some stories about some of the, like, pr- like, songwriting work he had gotten over the years where he's like yeah you know someone comes in they go hey we want to write you to we want you to write for kelly clarkston we want a you know a big hit single a ballad and a, something kind of in between sure. and you know just the stories that he would kind of tell of just like like yeah and the, the big single that they ended up buying off me like i fucking wrote it in like 10 minutes and i didn't care about it but then i got him into a bidding war with me because i was like well you know i now i want it because you know whatever and he's like i didn't give a shit about it i fucking just came up with it like 10 minutes and then I gave it to him and I knew it's exactly right. what they wanted because it's it's formulaic and it was just one of those like to hear that side of the music industry from someone who kind of is in that space it was just like man it just must be so wild to like be in that part and making something that in theory you know is is a part of like should be expression should be art should be artistic and it just becomes this weird commodity I can never get this word right. I don't even think it's a word, but just commodifying basically something that should never be. And I think that's just a really, yeah. it was always an interesting learning lesson at that point in my life uh, about the music industry and that side of it. It was just fascinating. But there's also, there's also a place for that. You know, I, I mean, I, I hate to be the devil's advocate in that situation, but there is a place for those Kelly Clarkson songs. And that place is in, you know, is in my, you know, my daughter's best friend's catalog <laughs> that she likes to listen to while she gets ready to go out on a date, you know? Absolutely. So that, I mean, that, so there's value in it. It's just as a songwriter, if you're not true to yourself, if you're pretending like you're, you know, if you're pretending like you're putting yourself into Kelly Clarkson's shoes, right? And you're saying, this is the kind of song she wants and this and this and this. That's a challenge. I'll take the challenge once, but I'm not going to keep going back to that same well to keep writing the same songs for the same person. It's just, that would be not, that's not a life of music to me. That's a punch in the clock I'm not interested in. Absolutely. You know, kind of speaking to, to being a musician and you're one of the, I haven't, surprisingly, I haven't gotten to talk to many Mi- uh, Michigan musicians, really. Like, I've had a few. Um, you know, I, uh, you know what did you say, which ones? I said there's a ton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was one of those things to me, like, kind of thinking about it, like, you know, you've played all over some, like, all over Michigan uh, at some of, like, our most historic venues and so forth. And, and it always seems like you guys, or you specifically, put such a, a, a emphasis, a pride of being from here and still supporting our Michigan music scene. So I guess, what does it mean to you to be from here in Michigan as a musician who has traveled the world over? I want to be surrounded by musicians. I want to be surrounded by art. I want to be surrounded by these people that, you know, the bad news bears of the music (laughs) world back in the nineties, you know, this is a, this was an area that no one would have expected, uh, some kind of sound, something to happen uh, when I was a kid, it was like, you got to move to L.A. or New York. And then it was Seattle. Um, and so we were always <clears throat> Michigan, I feel like, has always been, at least in my genre, has been the underdog, you know. And we're not talking about Ted Nugent and Bob Seger and these guys that are iconic at this point. 
but even those guys didn't, I, I don't necessarily think they wore Michigan uh, all that proudly uh, on their sleeve unless they played here. Right. Uh, I like the idea that we've had so many great musicians from this area and people that you haven't, that the public hasn't even, uh, the national media hasn't even exposed, you know, and, and, and frankly, it's going to be much harder and harder as we go. But when I want to see a great guitarist play, I know I can see AJ Dunning still in any band that he's in. I can see, I can see Pete Dunning. If I want to see a great drummer, sure. I'll go see Donnie Brown play. You know, I mean, these are guys that were in my band as well. And I was fortunate to play with them, but you know that they're great musicians. and I want to be surrounded by that. That's why I never left. Right. Yeah, it's just always something that, you know, I, I've often, like, there was one day, like, when we were driving around and we were in an area by where you live and went to, like, the gas station over there. And I was like, someone's like, is that Brian Vanderark? I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, I thought he would have moved out of here a long time ago. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, no, man, I love it here. I mean, plus the fact that, you know, I lived in LA for a little bit and lived in New York for a couple of years. And it's like, it's, it's, there's just too much. It's, too, it's like the, I've used this analogy before, but it really is like a cheesecake factory menu. You know, it's mm. like, it's like too many choices, too many options, too many ways to waste time. It's like, I like Michigan and I like this area because, you know, I can go, okay, well, what's, what's happening tonight? Okay. So troll for trout's playing tonight. The listening room. I just saw that. I'm like, Oh, I'll go down there and check out. I used to be friends with those guys. It's been a while. I'll go down there and check them out. And it's great. And then tomorrow I got my own show. And then, you know, Sunday, I'll chill out and watch the Lions game, you know, and it's like, it's a pretty good life. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good life, right? I mean, what, I mean not as a Lions fan, no, for? but yes, the rest of That's that a is a good life. life. <laughs> a Lions fan, very good point. Very good point. But I still, uh, I still get excited at kickoff. Same. Always. Same. Uh, one of the last questions I have for you, just to kind of, you know, make this a little more fun, you know, with us both being local here to Grand Rapids. I don't know if I've heard you talk anywhere about fellow Grand Rapids band Musterplug doing a cover of The Freshman. Have you? You've had to have heard oh, it, yeah. right? Oh, not only did I hear it, I tried to get RCA to pick them up. Oh, okay. Did I not loved know that. it. I mean, I I loved it, and I actually AJ and I jumped up on stage in, in LA and played with them when they came through town. We played The Freshman, and we I sang it to this ska version i loved it i mean i i think that that's an amazing band and an amazing version like i never would have thought trombones going it would work <laughs> and i was blown away it's just great and rca I, rca thought it was disrespectful and i you're crazy this is amazing it's very respectful it's honor they've honored me <laughs> you know so it's, yeah i love that i know what's funny is that these you know, uh, you know, we've got kids that go to high school here that whose, you know, parents are in mustard plug. And you go, what is, I mean, how great is that? You know, my kids go to the same school as the kids in mustard plug. You know, so, <laughs> I love it. Just love goes it. to show that ska and, and rock, I guess, aren't really that far separated after all. No, man, especially back then, you know, with the Mighty Mighty Boston, we were, we did so many shows with those guys because of the radio festivals and their big hit was happening at the same time photograph and freshman was out you know so anyway i feel like i remember not that long ago well not it was a long time ago actually but i feel like i remember seeing like you guys remembering you guys playing club soda which now no longer has no longer existed for a long time but then like even boston's not being too far removed from playing the same venue as you like within you know like a week or less so that 
I don't know. I always think it's funny. I used to, that's the one thing I miss kind of being more into like the hardcore scene for a while is just kind of those mixed bills that you used to have like back when I was going to shows for the first time and seeing like a ska band with a metal band with a whatever and everything in between. And I, you know, sadly they don't do that anymore. Well, I can tell you the downside of that and what I'm thankful that that doesn't happen for us anymore. The radio festivals, when you had Duncan Sheik play with Skinny Puppy, <laughs> and then Skinny Puppy fans don't want to sit through Duncan Sheik, so they throw pennies at his head and that kind of shit. <laughs> all that shit happened to us all the time. It was terrible. But, yeah. It was the worst. So, you know, honestly, I'd see as, I can see as a music lover, and you seem like a, res- a respectable concert goer, and you're a music lover, that you wouldn't be one of those people. You would, you know, sit and enjoy a day of different genres and the whole thing but holy shit as one of those bands it never worked for us never <laughs> fair enough well i'm sure i think you have another one of these after me uh so i have to let you go unfortunately but it was great talking to you would love to have you back on a- again and-, and maybe talk a little more at length about just some other stuff but uh where can everyone find you or whatever you would like to plug online I mean, the verpipe.com is always the best place to find what's going on. And, uh, you know, we're pretty heavy into the social media thing. And I usually respond to every comment and every DM and everything. So find the verpipe on Instagram and Twitter as well. And uh, getting our TikTok going now, too. So Yeah, I just saw you actually put out a tweet about uh, getting help for a tattoo. So hopefully I'm really interested to see how that one goes. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I felt like saying... I'm going to pick like the 97th, you know, suggestion, whatever it is, and just see what it is, <laughs> you know, because 97 was when the freshman hit, you know, I'd be like, okay, this is the deal. And then I thought, okay, that's stupid. I won't do that. <laughs> well, fair enough. Enjoy the rest of your day and looking forward to, uh, actually, did you say you're playing tomorrow? Yeah. Ferndale tomorrow night. Um, oh, Ferndale. Okay. I thought you, meant you were playing around here. Uh, and I was like, yeah, somehow yeah. I missed that. Um, well, hopefully I'll well, catch them here for a while. Okay. Let's say hopefully uh, whether you play the listening room or you know somewhere around here again, I'll have to keep an eye out and try to catch you again. Sounds good, John. Thanks. Yep. Have a good day. So that was my conversation with Brian Vander Ark of the Verb Pipe. I know that was a little bit shorter than we're used to doing, especially as of late, where we do these hour, hour plus dives into uh, these conversations with people. But it's been one of those things where I, I've been trying to get Brian on the show since I started it, and. You know, we just kind of kept circling around and it almost happened and then it didn't. And so this was one of those where this was the allotted time that he had to give me. And I was like, hey, can we like, let's just do it. And I definitely feel like there's a lot more stuff we could discuss. I feel like we could easily have an hour long conversation and have it be really good. And since this episode was done, uh, you know, I had tweeted, you know, if you know, thanks for having Brian, like, thanks for coming on. And uh, actually, since this episode was done, uh, I had tweeted out once I had finished it, you know, really great chat with Brian. Episode will be out soon enough. And, you know, he retweeted and was like, this is a really good one. Stoked for you all to hear it. And we've had a little bit more correspondence since this. And uh, I definitely think this is going to be one where we'll do a part two for sure. But we're probably going to do it maybe in person, hopefully. uh, And maybe we can share in, you know, an adult beverage or a cocktail or something and just kind of you know, really get into some interesting things. There's still a couple more, you know, fun stories I have uh, of meeting Brian over the years here locally. You know, I made the joke about uh, him pumping gas and, and my friends and I all pumping gas and at the same place. And everyone was like, is that Brian Vander Ark? Like, he's, he still lives here? And it's like, well, yeah, he lives like 
not very far away from this area. Like he still lives in Michigan, especially in Grand Rapids. So um, definitely one of those that I would love to do a part two with him. I think there's plenty to discuss. I mean, for me, I think the thing I loved about this this quick chat and, and something I think you can get across from listening to it is just the honesty and sincerity that Brian has, not about just himself or his career, but just about life in general. And to me, those always those kinds of people always make really great guests on podcasts. So uh, definitely looking forward to maybe doing a part two uh, somewhere in the near future. Uh, anyway, getting this out of the way because I can tell my voice is starting to go. <clears throat> I just let me take another sip of this tea. Mm. Seriously, if you can find this tea, this uh, watermelon mint, I know some people don't like watermelon. Some people don't like mint. You probably wouldn't like the both, but they actually complement each other in a really nice way. It's a, it's a sweet drink. So if you don't like sweet things, maybe this isn't for you. It almost tastes like like Bubblicious gum. I almost is kind of the best way I could describe it. If you remember that flavor, the watermelon flavor of Bubblicious gum. All that aside, if you would like to keep up with The Verb Pipe, it is simple enough. You can go to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Verb Pipe or go to TheVerbPipe.com. Uh, if you would like to keep up with Brian, it's also simple enough. Instagram at Brian VanderArk and Twitter at Brian VanderArk1. Uh, those will all be in the show notes. If you would like to keep up with this show, you can find us simple enough at BrewSpeakPod.com. And uh, you know what? I'm going to get out of here uh, really quickly. Just want to thank all of our patrons. Want to thank Sarah, Craig, Malcolm, and Mark for their continued support of the podcast. If you would like to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash Pod. You will find early access to episodes. As soon as they are done, they go up over on the Patreon. Uh, you get a weekly playlist. You get a weekly playlist breakdown of me explaining why I picked those songs. Sometimes I hint at upcoming guests uh, in that playlist. And just fun, random stories of why I love certain songs and, and these albums and, and artists. Uh, you also get a side podcast, What I Learned From a Podcast. I actually did an episode that went up uh, about two weeks ago as I'm recording this. Um, I don't try to just force them out because I want them to kind of be very, you know, this is something, a serious topic or something serious that has made me think for a week or two. And I want them to be, you know, thought out. Um, so there's an episode about that, about kind of being more in the moment and, and relationships and, and the giving and taking of relationships um, that I, I've gotten some good feedback on from the few people that have watched it. So uh, all of that aside, you can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com if you would like to uh, make a suggestion for a, an upcoming guest. Uh, if you have any feedback, any reason you want to reach out to me, go ahead and do so over there or just on the socials, whatever. Uh, always easy to be gotten a hold of. And uh, for this episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John and I will see you all next week where our guest is the returning Phil Abonte of All That Remains, looking back at 15 years of the fall of ideals and... Just a lot of other random shit. It was, uh, Phil's always a great chat. Uh, that was almost a two hour long conversation. Can't wait for you all to hear it. I'll see you next time.